Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today joined by Sam Carroll and Chris Beasley to chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park, and of course, preview tomorrow's game at Goodison, 12.30 kickoff, the visit of Crystal Palace before the winter break, and, and some details of the winter break coming up. We have just recently returned from Finch Farm, where Carlo Ancelotti has given his pre-game press conference, and as ever, some interesting lines uh, I've come from that and we will discuss, we'll discuss Palace, the return of James McCarthy, inevitably Wilfred Zaha will come into discussion, ask the chaps whether we are a better and different proposition from the game in August, Uh, we'll also talk about Carlo Ancelotti, for now dismissing any idea that top four could be on the horizon instead saying let's focus on the Europa League. Um, And I'll also be asking the lads to discuss what what could qualifying for the Europa League do for this season and Ancelotti's tenure going forward. Um, Let's start with with with, with the game, um, Sam. Um, we've overtaken Palace in the league for a while. They were just couldn't we just couldn't get above them. They were just they having a, a very good season. They've tailed off a little bit. Um, what are you expecting from them at Goodison tomorrow? Well, first of all, a new kit, won't it? We've played in that old white kit two games on the run. We couldn't wear the the new away one this season, so uh, that's good. But. I don't know, I think Palace will probably be disappointed, won't they? I think they started off so well this season in a, in a pretty, uh, aside from, basically, I don't even think it's the top two now, is it basically just a, apart from Liverpool? I don't think anyone's really hit the heights, maybe they'd have expected to a one point, maybe Leicester as well, but um, you know what you're getting out of them, don't you? They're, they're all going to know the roles and they're going to make things difficult and, and Roy Hodgson's been around long enough to, to, to make it difficult and for a while they were a, a bit of a bogey team for us at Goodison Park, weren't they? I remember a few... Yeah. Three twos that they that they won against us. So you know it's gonna be, it's gonna be interesting. You know, it'll be interesting if James McCarthy starts for them in central midfield because you know what what he brings. Um, so yeah, I think it's just another game now. You know, it's it's our first one back since since the shambles that was that last kind of ninety seconds against Newcastle. So I do really think it's a it, it's an important game to kind of it'd be really good to win and and, and win comfortably as well and, and put on a bit of a performance, but. You know we've got our own injuries as well, and we've still got our own problems. But I don't think the the, the form table at the end of the day doesn't lie, does it? We're second in the form table since Carlo came in. We've only been beaten by Manchester City in the league, you know. So we should be right up for him. We should be confident. You know what I mean? And 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 I still think we are uh, on on paper a, a team two, three times, probably even more the quality of of Crystal Palace on our day. Chris, uh, as I mentioned, obviously it's a return to Goodison for the first time since the the Newcastle game. Yeah. Obviously, the, there was the, the huge disappointment of how the final minute of that game mm-hmm. went. But if Everton play how they played for ninety minutes yeah. against Newcastle, is this a, is this a, a routine home win? 
Should it, well, say, should it be, it, sorry? No, I wouldn't say it was routine home win, but I think it's a game that Everton will be expected to win and is really important, like Sam says, in regards to going into that break with um, some momentum, like you mentioned, Phil, that you know, for a long time Crystal Palace were ahead of Everton, but this crazy, crazy table this season, we all know Liverpool are running away with it, but below there, it's just so little gap between so many of the teams in that division. So I think giving Everton that momentum going into the, the winter break and building on, like you say, a hugely positive 90 minutes against Newcastle United before the ridiculous stoppage time collapse. And then hopefully they'll have um, exercised those demons straight away with getting that out of the system at Watford, basically almost doing a Newcastle on Watford with those two goals at the end of the first half, then coming from behind to secure a, a, a last gasp dramatic win with, with 10 men. So, yeah, it could really give them that momentum going into the break. But, yeah, it, it would be, uh, it would, I imagine it will be a, a, a tight game. And, like um, has already been alluded to, um, Crystal Palace aren't one of those sides who are just going to roll over. It'd be one that Everton Evertonians will be expecting to get a result. From. I think what we were talking about there on the way back from the press conference as well, Phil, in terms of every game after this one, you know, and I'm not saying this is going to be a walk in the park by any means, but every game until the end of the season from here is, is either an away game or, you know, a pretty a pretty tough home game, yes, you know, for, yeah. for for the large part. So, you know, it's it's not must win in terms of, you know, league titles or, or relegation on the line, but I think it's a must win in terms of what Bees are saying there, in terms of that momentum and in terms of I think you said it yourself in the car, just keeping the pressure on and, and seeing what you know, every team around us is gonna drop points between now and the end of the season and I think it's gonna become more of a shootout on just who can drop the less points, the least points, sorry, and who can accrue the most, isn't it? So I, think, I believe a winner will take a seventh. Yeah. And if you just said to people in the wake of the defeat at Anfield in December, Marco Silva's last this game, oh, don't worry, chaps, by middle of Feb, early Feb, mm. you'll be seventh at the winter break. <laughs> it's staggering, isn't it? Two months, yeah. you know, they, they dropped into the relegation zone on the, the night that Marco was, was well, Before the result that yes, he was yeah, sacked, yeah. subsequently sacked from, yeah. So... To have gone from 18th to in, in just into the top half, I mean, it, it, it's incredible. Again, it alludes to the fact that it has been this strange season where there's just so little between so many of the teams. But yeah, let's not forget about the, the, the huge upturn in form. I think some people, perhaps a bit further away from ourselves to the situation, have been suggesting that Ancelotti hadn't had a great deal of effect. That's, <laughs> that, that, that's ridiculous. Like you has said, everything been overshadowed by the FA Cup game? From from not from um, within the supporter base, which obviously mm. there's still huge amounts of disappointment over that. But in terms of, uh, as you mentioned, uh, building a, a perception of how things have gone recently, has that kind of skewed everybody's thoughts? Do you perhaps think? so? Because that was a totally that was an absolutely wretched result for Everton, and then you could actually build a case for saying that's a bad as result that Everton have ever had in the context of it being um, a second string Liverpool, um, but. Yeah, if we take that out of the equation, the Premier League form has been really encouraging. Um, the fact that they've not only um, built that sequence of results together, but climbed so many um, places in the table. I know it has fluctuated because it is, it is so close, but that just makes it um, even more important to just go into that break now on the back of another positive result. Do you think, you know, Carlos said he, he's been satisfied, Sam. Um do we have to be better than we've been in the final 13 games to get into Europe? Or do you think if we continue just you know plodding along, picking up points at the rate we have been doing, you think that's going to be good enough? 
Um, is, this, is this a slow and steady he's going to win this race or do you think it's going to be a late charge I, I think it's it's too early still to tell just because of the teams around us and I think what B said it's just been such a strange season that you know would it surprise anyone if we went and won every single one of our last 13 games you'd probably just go weird what a season but you know at the same time Spurs could do it Manchester United could do it every team who are in and around this kind of 4th, 5th Sixth, seventh kind of battle. Eighth, ninth, Eighth, ninth, twentieth. <laughs> you know, I've I've got squads good enough to to put runs on, and I think you know a lot of teams, your Spurs, Arsenal, you know, to an extent Manchester United, even Chelsea. Now that they've been kind of pulled back in a little bit, would have been expecting to have uh, better seasons. I think in terms of performances, we'll need to up it for the last thirteen games because the caliber of opposition is, is going to get raised as well. So, but you know, I think Everton and Ancelotti are almost in the perfect. Uh, position and and it's a bit frustrating, isn't it? You know, and I think this criticism has been levelled at Everton a few times over the course of a few managers. But seemingly, when we've got nothing to play for, is when we start kind of pulling it out the bag a little bit. But we haven't got not uh, nothing to play for in terms of roughly, you know, if we just kind of average out to the end of the season, finish seventh or eighth. But the thing is now, there's not a great deal of pressure on us, and Europa League is is very much in reach. So I think it's a it's a nice position for us. To, to be in, you know, it's not like a defeat is going to be the absolute end of the world because, as Bees were saying two months ago, we were in the relegation <laughs> zone and you, you would have bit someone's hands off to maybe just say, Look, let's finish this season and just finish 10th and, and get out the way. But so, you know, I think it's just genuinely exciting and I think we can genuinely start to, especially at Goodison, take the game to people, you know, and and there's a lot of players as well who have, have got to still prove to Ancelotti that they want to be part of his plans and, and are going to need to perform. And it could just be that. That perfect concoction of you know players wanting to impress, you know a, a nice kind of uh, position to be in the table, you know just outside and making that last little push. So yeah, I think if if, if we up performances, then I honestly think with the standard league, with some of the res- results this we've seen this season, a proper anyone can beat anyone style division, then I, I just honestly don't see why not. And I think probably if you are Spurs or Wolves or whoever at the moment, I think. Everton are probably the team you're looking at the most to say, you know what, they've got Ancelotti, they've got a few players coming back, there's a bit of confidence about them, and and they should, I think they should be worried about us. Chris, we would expect tomorrow uh, in the opposition lineup to be James McCarthy, yeah. who really feels like finally there's a bit of momentum back in his career, which is yeah. great for, to him for us to see that for him because he was a popular player amongst amongst the team, a popular with, with the supporters. Um, any regrets that we, you know, that he is no longer at the football club? Do you think a fit and firing James McCarthy could have been an asset still? Yeah, I think you got the nail on the head there with the fit and firing aspect. I think there is a great deal of regret. Ultimately, it was the, it was the correct decision. It was the, the in the benefit of all parties concerned, really, player and, and the club. But yeah, there is a regret in that you you remember what he was like in those those early days under Roberto Martinez. I mean. People questioned just how many players that Roberto brought with him from a relegated Wigan Athletic side, albeit one that had won the FA Cup. But I mean, some of the others were were far less successful. Um, Alcaraz, um, Coney, Joe Robles was in and out. But McCarthy, for a time, must have been one of the first names on on the team sheet. He seemingly used to cover every blade of grass on the field. There's up and down a great motor on them, and I think that was. Perhaps the problem when he those nasty injuries kicked in, and remember he had that awful double leg break as oh, well towards the end. Yeah. Um, 
you wonder whether he was ever going to get back to um, producing those kind of displays again. It seems that, yeah, like you said, um, he has got things back on track at Palace. But, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a shame how it, how it ended up for him because, he, you know, he, he was such an, an exciting player. We remember some of the, the, the biggest names in the game at the time, uh, Manchester United, Tottenham, were regularly linked with moves from McCarthy when he was in his pomp in those early years at Everton. He, he was, a, you know, a real firebrand. So, do you share that there will, you know, for many fans, I'm sure, not all, but many, there will be a sense of regret that, you know, circumstance didn't allow us and him to, to see repeat seasons of 13, 14 when he was tremendous, wasn't he, for us? And then it just petered out, and, 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 and as Chris says, you know, an understandable parting of the ways in uh, last summer. Yeah, I think that is the, the difficult thing, isn't it? That genuinely did just seem like that ideal piece of of the jigsaw for us, you know, especially in that first season. And, you know, you do kind of wonder what it was then that, that went missing, you know, that, that partnership they had with Gareth Baddy, you know, one, one of the best Everton central midfield partnerships, if not the best, that someone from from my generation has, has seen so far. You know, it was just so effective and, you know, McCarthy just seemed to know his role so well and, you know, he, he, he generally did seem like he could just run all day, didn't yeah. he? So, yeah, I mean... It, it's just so difficult, isn't it? And, and I still think that that... I don't know, the leg break did seem to come at a terrible time as well in that I still wouldn't say he was... Well, he obviously wasn't playing as well as he was in that season, but that had kind of been signed. So mm-hmm. He was kind of flickering back to life. I think there was a few games where he'd made a bit of an impression and it was just such a such a kind of a, a cruel injury as well. So, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? I think every Everton fan would obviously want to see McCarthy doing well uh, for Palace and, and whatever else he ends up, but... Yeah, you do kind of wonder if if we could have. Well, I think if we could have kept that same James McCarthy and had him in the midfield with someone like Adrissa Garnagay and Andre Gomez, then hmm. you know what what a kind of trio that would have been. But sadly, it wasn't to be. And just when both you mentioned there, and you think about you know J- James's leg break, Seamus not too long after him, Andre's ankle break. I mm. mean, in terms of rotten luck in that respect, you know the football club has not had it. Uh, not been dealt a good hand, have we, in that regard? Um, no, I mean, in, in his defence, Marco Silva perhaps points to that um, sort of those mitigating circumstances in what happened to him um, the first half of the season. The fact that, you know, he'd brought in these three players. OK, Gomez had been on loan, but he got that permanent deal over the line. Gabamon basically he'd hardly kicked a ball for the club and he had that injury in, in training. And then his other midfield signing of the summer, Fabian Delph, had been in and out. Mm. So, yeah, it'd been. Yeah, I've been very unfortunate in, in that respect. And like you said, it's, it's been going on for a few years. If you look at McCarthy Coleman, which was on international duty, of, yeah. of, of course. So, yeah, that, that is a, t- a, a tough hand to be dealt. Mm. Um, Sam, you, you you were with me at Sellers Park in August, opening day of the season, sunny day in, in Croydon. Um, are we a better proposition than we were that day? Are we more threatening? Are we more well-rounded? Match day 18, you know, compare, take us back to that day and, and, and compare it with, with how we are going into tomorrow's game. Um, I think it's, it's difficult, isn't it, in terms of tomorrow? Probably not, because, you know, back in August we had Jabamon, who came off the bench, we had Gomez starting. Um, so in terms of players available, no, we're probably not. Are we in a better position now? You know, having a three-time Champions League winning manager probably doesn't hurt, does it? 
I think obviously there's, there's always that little bit of sadness, isn't there, when you think back to that first day and remember the excitement around Moise Keane coming on. Yeah. You know, obviously Jabamon came on in, in difficult circumstances when, I can't remember who Go- it was that got injured. Gomez got injured. Oh, Gomez, yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, you know, but even even to see him play for the first time, to see someone that we hadn't really seen play much football was exciting as well. Um, and, and it just hasn't quite, it didn't quite materialise in, in the way we'd have expected it to this season, so... But what about then on on the flip side to that? You know, nil nil that game. We had three or four decent chances. Dominic Calvert Lewin early chance didn't take it. Is the Dominic Calvert Lewin of today taking that chance? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I honestly think Calvert Lewin this season has has came on more than perhaps any other player in the Premier League. And you know you've got to you've got to still remember that this is a player when you know when he missed that chance against Aston Villa. Earlier in the season, you know, to 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 pull us back and make it one-one, I think it was one of those clips that was kind of shared widely, especially on social media. You know, how could they have missed? And it was getting to the point where, you know, I don't think a lot of people were happy to see him when he was in the starting lineup. He wanted to see Moise Keane. I think people probably would have rather have even gave uh, Cheng Tosin a go. And then you think back even as as recently as the win over Southampton. Uh, when when Tosin was preferred mm. as a starting striker, so to think where Calvert Lewin is now is is one a credit to him, credit to the hard work he's put in, and a credit to you know that self belief to keep going when at points even this season he's been third fourth choice striker and now he's he's one of the first names in the team sheet. You know you can see the effect it's had on his confidence, but you know he's he's now making things look easy. You know that goal he scored against Newcastle. Uh, a couple of weeks back, you know that's not still not the easiest finish on your left foot. And then he scored in all kinds of goals. You know, that's a brilliant finish. Uh, the header against West Ham, that's just a case of being in the right place at the right time. You know, he scores the scrappy ones as well, like the one against Chelsea. So, you know, I, I really do think Everton have, have now got a complete all-round striker who's, who's only going to get better. And I just hope the, the goals keep coming for him. Because I think if he keeps going to the end of the season, then, you know, the confidence will just be flowing. And the other thing he, he's, he's then got to think about, I know, as Evertonians, we're not all overly enthusiastic about the, the England national team, but for a striker who can win headers in the box and, and make a nuisance of himself, they're never usually a, a bad wildcard pick for if you're trailing in a game or you need a goal. And He could, after being behind Cenk Tosin and, and the likes in, in the Everton mm. pecking order before Christmas, find himself on the plane to, to the Euros in the summer. So, it, it honestly, it's just such a, a remarkable turnaround, really, and, and one that I think I have to admit that there was stages this season, probably around September, October, where I didn't quite think he had what it took, but all credit to him. And, and now I, I, I definitely think that we've we've got a proper number nine. And at the end of the day, it saves you 50, 60, 70 million in this market, doesn't it? If he can keep scoring 10, 15 goals a season for us. Bees, is he the most improved player in the Everton squad, or does Mason Holgate pip him to that as we stand? I or think, is there another, another name? That no, I, th- I think Mason as well has been, has been excellent, and especially if you think the fact that he was spent the second half of last season mostly playing right wing-back for West Brom, so to have re-established himself as a starting centre-back for Everton. Can't um, underestimate that, but I think the way Calvert-Lewin has come on, and like we say, not just this season, but within this season, because obviously a hugely popular lad, uh, and I've interviewed him a few times myself, he's always very positive, bubbly character, and you really want him to do well yeah. as, as a person. 
and you could see we had so many elements of his game was great and holding the ball up and, and just um, his running. But ultimately, you felt at the start of the season, you had serious doubts. Was he going to make it as a top class centre forward in the, the, the Premier League? He didn't seem to have that that poacher's instinct. And like you said, like Sam's just said, that has come on now. And, and it's almost like you think you can't teach that kind of thing. But it, he has come on so many, so much in those last few months, scoring those different kinds of goals, the, predis- the predatory instincts in, in the box. Yeah, it, it, it's absolutely huge. So I'm not um, underestimating at all what Mason has done. But I think in regards to, we bang on and on about how Everton have never replaced Romelu Lukaku. Well, this might have been a slow burner now. And people aren't talking about that anymore because they're thinking... Hopefully there'll be more to come from Moyes Keane as well. But the fact that Calvin Lewin is doing the business, no one's actually talking very seriously about Everton. One number nine now, I know Marcel has said to you in in previous months, you know, you you can't directly replace Lukaku anyway in this market to that that kind of player. And he wanted to bring on Calvert Lewin and give him a, a chance this season, and he certainly re- repaid that. Like I said, he's he's probably um, surpassed everyone's expectations, and to go within a single season from doubts of whether he'd even make it in the Premier League and people talking about being one of the hottest properties now and of course we don't want it but on supposedly Manchester United's radar yeah I mean it's it's been terrific Selfishly of course we don't want him to get picked for England we always have a big rest this summer and come back Um, but of course he carries on like this and he will certainly be in Southgate's thoughts Um, Quickly before we move on to Palace of course one of the subplots to the 0-0 in August was of course Wilfred Zahar Um, the club via Marcel have made the reality of their position, and in those, in the, in all that rumor in the summer, clear. Um, personally, on a on a on a Evertonian level, any any disappointment that Zaha isn't wearing royal blue. Um, always in that kind of FIFA football manager style kind of thing. It'd be nice to have a kind of exciting player like Wilfred Zaha in. In Everton colours, wouldn't it? And I do think he is a player now with hindsight that probably would have benefited the team. And and you know, it could be a totally different scenario in which in which we sit here. We could still have Marco Silva as the manager, or you know, anything could have really happened if 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 that deal would have kind of happened and he and he designed. But at the same time, then you know, it's a deal that with, with brands at the helm and the kind of mission plan that he's been in given never really made total sense especially financially would have been a another big risk in the transfer market in terms of the fee you know and and, and we all kind of know what what happened with, with Yannick Balassi last time we signed a, a winger from Crystal Palace so you know I've got no doubt it would have went differently I've got no doubt that he would have been a, a, a top player and a, and, a, and a good asset for us but you know I, I still think that maybe holding our nerve on that one was ultimately the right decision. Chris any thoughts on on yeah, um, it, it, there was a huge amount of excitement at the potential prospect of Balassi coming, and we know that because he's such an explosive, exciting. Zaha. Not Balassi, Zaha. Sorry, yeah. Zaha. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I take that all back. Not Yannick Balassi. Sorry, huge uh, amount of excitement. About yeah, coming no, back the, 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 <laughs> I was about sorry. Yeah, Wilfried Zaha. Yeah, um, but, but yeah, as as Marcel has subsequently outlined in 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 the general meeting, the reasons behind that. Okay, people would have been excited about the prospect of this player who was widely regarded as being the best player in the Premier League outside the the so-called Big Six. Um, But the financial reality of of that deal was perhaps a a big stumbling block. And I think it would be, uh, if we uh, just be a bit more canny about things, perhaps Mm. um, identify the next 
Wilfred Zaha, not the next Yannick Molassi, sorry. But um, <laughs> yeah, rather than paying those huge fees that with financial fair play just won't let you do. No. Even if you could have, you know, we all know how ambitious Farhad Mashiri is and how he wants to have the biggest names come into Everton. We've seen that now with Carlo Ancelotti. But within the restrictions of financial fair play, you just can't go out and pay X amount of pounds for a player if that spoils the the, the financial fair play um, regulations for you as a club. So, yeah, I think you've got to be clever and hopefully pick up the next Wilfred Zahar, and that's where somebody like Marcel Brands comes in and will hopefully identify the same way he did with, uh, say, Lozano at um, PSV, rather than going chasing Lozano from Napoli now, go and find the next Lozano, go find the next Zahar. I know it's easier kind of said than done, but I think it was sort of Michael Ball said in one of his recent columns that Everton now... You know, with with this kind of transfer method of trying to bring in, you know, we have to start becoming the team who every now and again does does pick up the gem. You know, why why couldn't we be like the Watford who signed Richarlison for, you know, essentially in context pennies before about twelve and a half million quid at the time. Yeah, yeah before someone comes and signs them for forty, fifty million pounds, and again, it's easier said than done. Again, every team, certainly in the Premier League now, has, has got access to more scouting tools and, and, and more of a worldwide reach than, than ever before and, and a lot of teams are going for not a lot of high quality players but it would be nice to kind of see us in the next couple of years go back to that where the Evertonians haven't really had for a long time where you'd, you'd sign a player with quite low expectations or for a pretty reasonable fee and for them to exceed expectations mm-hmm. instead of what we've been dealt over the last few years of players coming in with real high price tags high wages high expectations and ending up with your Davy Classens, and although Bees is a fan of him, apparently Yannick Um Okay, let's move on to uh, some reflections on today's presser. And just before I ask the lad some questions about what Carlo was saying with regards to Europe, probably worth bringing you up to speed on a bit of news. Uh, Jean-Philippe Gabamin's surgery was a success, Sam, we believe, don't we? From what Carlo was saying, but again reiterating, it's likely to be an eight-week recovery period for that. So fingers crossed we will still see him before the end of the season. Uh, and the Blues will play a friendly, uh, likely to be behind closed doors, in the winter break uh, to help aid Andre Gomez's return. Obviously, of course, the plan is for him to be back in the squad for Arsenal, uh, which, again, is remarkable. Even though we were discussing it last week, it still is remarkable to talk about it. Uh, and then Carlo also confirming that he will give the players um, five days off during the winter break following the Palace game. Um, Sam, of course, you, you were a Finch fan with me. Ancelotti asked directly about Europe, but specifically, you're only eight points, Carlo, off fourth place Chelsea. Is Champions League football inside? What was his response? Yeah, he obviously kind of said about Chelsea being too far off at this moment. You know, he did point out that it could all change in three or four games time, but for now, Chelsea too far away. But, you know, he, he was quite assertive in, in saying, you know, Europa League is, is now our target. And again, to kind of think that we'd be sitting here and, and hearing an Everton manager speak about qualifying for the Europa League. If if we probably have told you that after the Anfield derby, then I don't think you'd have, uh, you'd have believed that one. So, yeah, it's, it's good to see. I enjoyed kind of listening to him speak like that. It was nice to kind of see, you know, a real clear goal for now and between now and the end of the season. And the league is just so tight that I genuinely think that three, four wins on the spin can just elevate you to new heights kind of thing. So, yeah, it's... it's it's tough, isn't it? I think qualifying for the Europa League, I think it was a debate we had last season as well, would obviously complicate things one once more because then you need a bigger squad. And Do you? I've been thinking about this myself. I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm 
you know, I mean, look, we will talk if you know, fingers crossed, everything goes well, and we're really within touching distance of qualifying. We will go into obviously real depth on this, but just let's just touch on that. The club operate or trying to operate with a squad of twenty three players, and that includes yep. three goalkeepers plus academy youngsters joining in training. Is is that not the way to go? Rather than but you know, you know, uh, beefing out a squad with extra players because you've got Europe. Is that not the road we've kind of been down and fallen fallen foul of, and you know, fallen down the pitfalls of that? Maybe, maybe, but I still think that you probably would just just in 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 key areas, maybe in defence, central midfield, one or two extra bodies. But you know, I do kind of take the point that the squad that maybe we took into that Europa League campaign under Ronald Koeman uh, last time we were in the competition probably was a little bit too inflated and a little bit too muddled trying to give too many people a go in a way now when you think back so yeah it, it could it could necessarily be be that way but you know it would be quite an unexpected achievement still if if we qualified for the Europa League this season so it would be interesting to then see how the club would react in the transfer market because then you can obviously attract a higher calibre of player so yeah it's, it's, it's just an interesting one and I still think that we're, we're probably with the fixture list we've got coming with the upheaval we've had this season, I'd still say we're probably outsiders for the Europa League. But I, I generally think it would be a massive story if we if we could reach Europe and would just make for such an intriguing summer in terms of what Ancelotti brands and and the board would kind of go and do. Bees, you have been putting together a really like um, extensive mm. nine part yes, yes. piece that we see next week on Ancelotti's yes. career and club to club. Um, but you know, and obviously you you'll have looked at the importance and how integral European football has been to his career. But what do you think it would it would mean? Look, we're trying not to get too far ahead of ourselves, no. of course, because it's it's very early days. Yeah. But what do you think qualifying for the Europa League would do for this, for his Everton reign, and for horror of want of a better better phrase, the project, if you like, yeah. and kind of momentum and 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 going forward into the summer. I think it'd be a massive positive. Um, I remember, I mean, heat in the moment stuff, but in the after they'd just thrown it away against Newcastle United, I was getting on the train, I was there with all the speckies at um, Kirkdale Station, and one blue turned to his mate and he said, oh, we don't want European football next season, distraction getting away, and I've, I couldn't agree, disagree Sorry, <laughs> more with that sentiment. I think it's a small-time small mentality. It's the sort of thing that Bolton used to do when they get in... Europe, oh, just concentrating the Premier League, never mind about that. club like Everton should be aspiring to do um, well in Europe, like I read your piece earlier this week, and you mentioned about how integral European football has been for Carl Ancelotti's career, albeit almost always Champions League football at the dining at the top table in but, Europe. But he has yeah. fair decent yeah. games in UEFA Cup and Europa League. Yeah. Mm. Well, um, I, I think that... Um, just he's used to that rhythm of, 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 of twice a week, and I don't think he'd be a problem. Uh, he'd have a problem in that respect. I mean, like we talked about the squad numbers. I mean, all those teams who are in the Champions League now, they don't have vastly larger squads numbers-wise than than what Everton have. They have to operate, and I think there's a real sort of I don't, oh, it's a, it's a mental problem with the the English clubs over the whole Thursday Sunday scenario. They see it as a problem well ultimately it's no different than Wednesday Saturday yeah but there just seems to be some sort of mental barrier to get over but 
let's look at this. We know how difficult it is for Everton to get in the Champions League when there is an established big six in this division. I know it would be far from straightforward, but you'd have a manager like Ancelotti with an immense European pedigree. Why not go the distance with him in the, Euro- the Europa League? Because ultimately it's a very long-winded way, but it could actually be Everton's most straightforward way to getting into the Champions League ultimately, be like Manchester United. Go if if Jose Mourinho can go the distance with Manchester United in the Europa League. I mean, we've seen teams in maybe a decade ago, Fulham, Middlesbrough, both got to the final of that competition. Evertonians will always rue the fact that they didn't in 2008. It seems one of the biggest missed opportunities of David Moyes' reign. Why not not only get into the Europa League? I mean, that's going to be difficult in itself. But if you were to to do it, you know, really try and give it a, your best shot and try and go as as far as you you can under a manager with impeccable European pedigree. Mm. Interesting, of course. Thirteen games of the season to go and plenty of ups and downs, no doubt. But fingers crossed, the Blues can do it. Um, of course, back to Saturday's game. Uh, Evertonians walking up to Goodison. We'll see a slightly different look. Sam at the park end. Um, yeah. Just remind anybody who may miss that story of of the uh, say facelift, but changes that have been made uh, at that end of the ground. Yeah, it's the the Alisher Usmanov Megaphone Company, Brandon, <laughs> on the uh, is it facing over Walton Lane and yeah, from the park the end the as park well. Park end, yeah, yeah. So that'll be a nice little addition tomorrow, and and kind of exciting to what it could be hinting towards, you know, for the future. Obviously, Mr. Usmanov already. Move to secure those. The option, yeah, yeah. But what do we feel about naming rights? Is a look, and you know that there's a, he's, he's he's bought the option to, to name Bramley Moore, you know, and, and USM. Uh, use use the USM branding uh, there, and naming rights is an integral part of of not only funding a stadium but a, co- a you know a commercial driver. Do you think how long do you think it's going to take for 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 us as Evertonians to get used to it to it not being Goodison and literally not having Goodison written across? I think it's an inevitability. I mean, perhaps amongst themselves, fans will still call it Bramley Moore Dock, but I think that the idea, I'm just surprised Tottenham haven't um, struck a deal for theirs yet. It still remains, as far as I know, Tottenham Hotspur mm. Stadium because they haven't struck a deal yet. I'd imagine they'd, they'd have got one, you know, the way sharp cookie that Daniel Levy is, that, that they'd have um, struck a deal quite early on. Perhaps it is because he's holding out for a bigger deal, but yeah, it's an it's inevitability um, with, with new stadia. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be a a huge um, wrench and just a, to be thinking on a match day I'm not, you're not going to Goodison Park anymore but Evertonia's been waiting for this for a, a generation now I, I remember I was 16 years old when the stadium debate was first being seriously mentioned under Peter Johnson so yeah they've been waiting far longer than they expected so hopefully touch wood when it, it's, it's finally all completed uh, I think the name of the actual stadium won't be will be a, 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 a make or break issue for the fans and, and and like I said they may amongst themselves still refer to it as as Bramley Moor Dock whatever the official name ends up being. I know a few other teams in the Premier League have, have gone through it, but I think the the weird thing as well just be just imagining going the match not even not to be in that stadium but just not where Goodison mm. is. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone has got the the pre match routine, you know whether you drive or get the bus or you know you you're close enough to be within in walker distance, but you know, it does seem pretty pretty strange that one day we'll all be kind of falling out of the the Bramley Moore Stadium or the, the Kit Kat Chunky Stadium or whatever name <laughs> we finally kind of land land upon. So, uh, yeah, the name doesn't obviously 
matter too much. Hopefully, you know, it, it is something that's, that's not too ridiculous kind of thing. But yeah, I think now it is, it is an exciting time. It's definitely going to be an exciting 18 months because it does now seem now that the public consultations and things like that are out the way and now we're starting to get more into, you know, banks are getting involved uh, and naming rights and stuff like that. It's definitely getting closer and closer, isn't it, to where we're actually going to start seeing an actual physical stadium <laughs> growing up from, from the ground, which is just something that a few years ago probably wouldn't have even kind of registered, would it? So, you know, it's, it's, it's a big 18 months on the pitch, but I also think big 18 months off the pitch. Lovely. Oh, and sorry, would be remiss of us not to talk about this. And Sam, you will be there back at Goodison on Sunday, having been there tomorrow with myself and covering the uh, the Palace game. Uh, a big game at yeah. Goodison on Sunday, the women's derby. Just explain kickoff time and for anybody turning up. What are this Everton team about under Willie Kirk? It's obviously been a kind of period of improvement. Willie Kirk came in in December 2018. It just seemed to have had an impact. Definitely had a, had a big impact. Came in. He was the Manchester United assistant coach. Just took on the, the the top job at Everton and, and took over a team that you know were, were kind of at the bottom of the the women's Super League and now this season the fifth in the table they've got some exciting talent uh, Chloe Kelly who, who signed on a permanent deal from Arsenal after after a loan spell been doing really well and also now they're they're making real strides in in the transfer market it seems like uh, Willie Kirk and his his team of staff have got a real pull um, Izzy Christensen you know in England. International coming back from Leon, which is obviously the biggest they're, they're a big women's, deal in women's team football, in, they, in the world. Yeah. You know, the, the the Leon owner pumps a lot of cash into that, so you know, a massive signing for Everton and, and a massive day again for the city. You know, it was a great day in Anfield last time, uh, twenty three and a half thousand supporters, and wow. and yeah, I think and a one nil victory and a one nil win for the Blues. Yeah, so the rocket from the edge of the area, <sighs> absolute no keeper in the world saving that film. You don't stop them, but no, it's, it's good. You know, lovely lovely group of girls. As well, we spent some time uh, having a penalty shootout with them last week. Didn't go too well for me, personally. <laughs> um, but you can know, only be the hero, surely, as a goalkeeper in a, in a shootout. Unfortunately, not <laughs> um, zero. So yeah, I think, I think if you, if anyone who's listening to this is, is undecided on any Sunday plans, it's a two o'clock kickoff, Goodison Park. You know, it was a great occasion last time. You've seen a lot of younger supporters there, a lot of families there. It was a, it was a brilliant atmosphere. It was a good game. It, it was, was tight. A good game. It was a good tight, game. good game. You know, a really good battle. You know, it had all the trappings of, of a derby. You know, kind of. Um, it was a bit nervy, a bit ropey. You know, unfortunately for the Liverpool goalkeeper, a bad error decided the game. But it was great to see Everton win at Anfield, and hopefully we see Everton win at Goodison. You know, tickets are still on sale. Uh, online, so definitely, if you've got no plans Sunday, try and get down because I know uh, from speaking to Willie Kirk, speaking to the captain Danielle Turner, and from Chloe Kelly as well, you know they are all desperate to to get as many Blues down there, supporting them as possible. And I'm expecting a big big turnout on Saturday and a big turnout on the Sunday as well. Yeah. And two haven't wins. Absolutely, fingers crossed. Neatly segue into the final part of, of every pretty much podcast uh, prediction time. Um, Bees, what's your prediction for Everton versus yeah, I'll just Palace. quickly say hopefully for, for, the, for the women's derby I just hope the weather holds out for them because as Gerard Delafeo might say very very wind on Sunday oh. mm-hmm. mm. the storm coming but yeah Saturday I'm going to be positive I think it will be a, a close game but maybe add a second late on 2-0 Everton a bit like the, re, the game in October yeah. last season yeah yes. take that. I'm, I'm very confident you know I think you're right <laughs> You're always very confident. Not often I feel like this, <laughs> but I think four and eleven. Well, yeah. I've just got a feel. 
You say not very often like this, but I think in the history of pods, if we reviewed them, you probably average like predicted. Yeah, your average <laughs> prediction is at least four 0 <laughs> Okay, I'll take that. Yeah, I, I think I think we'll win. I think it'll be a positive performance akin to the first ninety. Four 0 maybe. I'm not going to go that strong. I think Palace will be will be here to make it difficult, won't be? And um, but no, I think I agree with Beast two 0 I think we will keep a clean sheet for the first time in a few games. Okay. So fingers crossed, uh, chaps. Thank you very much for your company. Excellent, as always. Uh, and thank you very much for listening. Um, of course, stay with us across the weekend. Uh, Sam and I at Goodison. And again, Sam back at Goodison on Sunday for the Women's Derby. So two big games for the Blues this weekend. And stay with the Echo for all the best news, opinion and analysis. So thank you very much. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.